The text for today is Hosea 5.13. There's Bibles in front of you. It's in the Old Testament, um, and it'll also be on the screens. This is the word of God. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he was not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. All right. I wonder um, if any of you guys have ever seen a politician do or say something that made you really upset? Or maybe um, day after election you felt depressed because it didn't turn out how you wanted it to turn out? Or um, maybe you got into a discussion about politics and it got more heated and more intense than you meant for it to get. I remember one time I was camping with some friends around a fire. We were hanging out, we were having a good time. And somehow, I don't know how it happened, is me versus everybody. <laughs> and we were talking about healthcare, not, not hanging out. And I think the reason why we can get so excited about, even bent out of shape about politics, is because it's personal and they're important issues to us. And because it is, I want you to ask yourself right now, what is some of the greatest issues, or what is the greatest issue facing our society right now? Maybe it's immigration. Maybe it's gun violence. Maybe it's climate change. Maybe it's foreign policy. Maybe it's abortion. Maybe it's economics. What, what do you think right now is the greatest issue that our society is facing? And the reason why this passage is helpful is because Hosea is going to show us something new that maybe we hadn't expected that is actually the greatest issue in each of our hearts and in our society, whether or not we knew it or not. And this is true for us, whether we're followers of Jesus or we're not yet followers of Jesus. This text is going to show us what problems or what problem we are really facing that goes deeper than all the other different problems that we face. So let's jump in to where we're at. We're about halfway through our sermon series on Hosea. And each week we've been exploring a different theme. We've mapped out the biggest themes in Hosea. And the theme that we're going to focus on this evening is the theme of trusting in political power. So at this point in the story of God's people, things are not going very well. The process is God said, if you obey me and do good, I'm going to bless you. And if you disobey me and turn from me, I'm going to punish you. And we see Israel starting around this era at a point of prosperity, but then as a sin that starts to unravel. God is punishing his people. And the point of his punishing them is that they'd always return to him. That's what he's doing. That's what he's about. So even when Israel is unfaithful, God is faithful in punishing them because he wants them to return to him. And in our verse for today, Hosea is commenting on this. Hosea is commenting on God's process of discipline to bring his people back to him. 
So let's take a look at verse 13 again. When Ephraim, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. So what exactly is this text referring to? Ephraim and Judah are the two kingdoms that when we put them together, they make up God's people. They had a fight, they broke up, and so there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, but together, they're God's people. And on one level, the wound is the national decline and the famine that they're experiencing, like things are just not going well. But if we have eyes to see, the real wound goes much deeper than that. The real wound that the people are facing is that they have a heart-level separation from God. That's the deepest wound that there is. All the other stuff on the surface is just a reflection of being out of a right relationship with God. We can see this in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. But they didn't see that that was their wound. They thought it was the circumstances that they were facing. So what did they do instead? The text says that they turned to the great king, to Assyria. So Assyria was like the nation that was in charge of all the other nations back then. They were the big kid on the block. They were the dynasty. They were like the New England patriots of the ancient world. And, um, <laughs> and Israel felt threatened at this time by other kingdoms. And so what did they do? They did what in worldly wisdom you would do, is you ask for someone else to come and help you against the kingdom that's threatening you. So the kingdom they were probably being threatened by is Syria, that's different than Assyria, and they asked Assyria for help. And if we look at the different possibilities, um, it's hard to tell what exactly was the instance in Scripture this text is referring to, but um, it could have been 2 Kings 16, 5 through 8, which is what we're going to look at. So um, that text says, Then Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem and besieged Ahaz, but they could not overpower him. At that time, Rezin, king of Aram, recovered Elath for Aram, by driving out the peoples of Judah, Edomites, then moved into Elath and have lived there to this day. Ahaz sent messengers, he's the king of Israel, he sent messengers to say to Tiglath, wow, Pileser, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and out of the king of Israel who are attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace and sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. And if you keep reading further, you'll find out that it looks like it worked. Israel asks Assyria for help, and Assyria comes in and rescues them. But we'll see that the tragic irony is that in the future, Assyria, who Israel appealed to for help, 
actually turns around and devastates them and destroys them. And, how, and the point that is for us today is that the things that we put our trust in besides God, as good as they look and as much as they might help us out, at the end of the day, they'll eventually turn on us. What we turn to besides Jesus will eventually turn on us. Despite what appearances may hold. And I want us to feel why what God's people did was so wrong. I want us to feel it. Because those words that Ahaz, the king of Israel, spoke to his series that I am your servant and your vassal. Another translation says, I am your servant and your son. And those were words that he should have only spoken to God. And there he is speaking them to another human king. Do we ever find ourselves saying things to other people, treating other people like we should only treat God? And then it goes further than that. He took the gold from the treasury that was there, that belonged to God to worship God, and he gave it to another king who idolatrously thought that he was God instead of the true God. And so what we see here is a situation in which if we could be there with King Ahaz and we could grab him by the shoulders and shake him, we'd say, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? This is the exact opposite of the plan that God had envisioned for his people. The exact opposite of his plan. If we take a look at Deuteronomy 4, 7, it says, um, what other nation is so great as to have their gods near to them as the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him. So God's special relationship with his people back then, his special relationship with his people right now, is that God wants you to pray to him, and when you pray to him, he'll come and deliver you. And what Israel did back then is instead of calling out to God, they called out to another nation. What would that have done to God's reputation with that other nation. They would have thought, your God is so weak and so fake that you don't even call out to him. That's what happened when Israel doesn't pray for help. That's what happens when I don't pray for help, when I try to come up with some other way to save myself, is that God looks small and people look big. And that's where Ahaz's actions took him. And this is serious. Because God says that his whole point in being the deliverer for Israel is that the other nations would know him. So when Ahaz cries out to other nations, then they can't see God rescue Israel and be saved when they see how great their God is. And so, in summary, the wound that the verse is talking about the Hebrew word means um, like it would have been an oozing wound. Have you ever had, had a wound that just keeps bleeding through the bandage? Maybe it gets infected. That's the image of the wound. And back then, that can be a fatal thing because there isn't antiseptics, there isn't antibiotics back then. And so to have a wound could be deadly. And the wound at the end of the day is the people's broken relationship with God. It isn't their national circumstances. 
It isn't their personal circumstances. It's their broken relationship with God. And the symptom of their broken relationship with God is they're looking elsewhere for help. I think that's how we can know whether or not our heart is healthy or broken. Is where do we go for refuge when we need help? Where do you find yourself going to refuge when you need help? I want to take a big leap from Hosea's day to our day. Um, We're going to cover on the podcast. We are bringing back the midweek podcast. I know some of you guys can't wait for that. Um, And talk about how the nature of the kingdom changes between Hosea's day and ours day. Basically, back then, the kingdom, God's kingdom was a physical kingdom on earth. And now the kingdom today is a spiritual kingdom that exists alongside a secular state. And there's a relationship between the two. And I want to talk specifically about a false deliverer that we can tend to hope in ourselves. And that's political power. Political power is a false deliverer that we can hope in to save us from what's most wrong with us. This has never become more relevant in our lifetimes than it is today. On November 8th, 2016, um, it was a day that that changed a lot of the way we talk about politics in this country. There was a president elected who some people loved and some people don't love. And as a result, everything we seem to consume from media to sports to comedy, it seems to be about politics. It's in our face. The message that we're getting from our culture is that politics is everything and politics can fix everything. And this can be a thorny issue. I know right now in this room, there's a whole bunch of different political perspectives. Sure, if you were at that campfire with me, some of you have been debating right against me. And the beautiful thing is that we're part of a family where people with different political perspectives can still love one another because love goes deeper than any political platform. And I just want to make it clear from the outset, that political involvement is a good thing when it's done rightly. Like I can be involved. Um, I'm the guy who, before an election, I'll go through the entire like ballot and find out who the best candidates are. And then I'll text all my friends who won't get too angry at me and tell them these are the people who you vote for. And sometimes I vote or send that to the people who do get angry at me. So it is a good thing, but the point I want, want to make is that this is not where our hope can reside in. Politics cannot be the hope where our hope resides in. Back, um, I remember in 2008, um, I was really upset about that election. And I was wondering, oh, what's going to happen next? Where is this going to go? And that was wrong of me to be as upset about that election as I I was. And I remember in 2012, I had a candidate who I loved and I supported so hard. And I saw him go really far. And he wasn't able to win. And my hopes were let down. I think it was good for me. And the thing that I have had to learn and am learning is that politics 
cannot and will not help me and will not help our society. It does make a real impact, but it doesn't heal our wound. If you think about it, we have the exact same wound that the people of Hosea say had. Their problem was they didn't know God. My problem is, apart from Jesus, I don't know God. And your problem, friend, if you're here today, is that apart from Christ, you can't know God. And while politics do make a real impact, no law can reconcile us with the holy God. There's God, and then there's us, his creatures, who are sinful beings, and no law that any politician passes can fix that broken relationship. The thing I want you to see today is that there's only one ruler. There's only one king. There's only one God who can help any of us with the deepest wound that we have. And his name is Jesus Christ. I mean, are you concerned today that things aren't going well with our society, that people aren't treating one another well? I mean, I, I share your concern. I agree with you. But at the end of the day, laws can help people treat one another, to help people treat one another better, but they can only restrain evil. They can't change hearts. And so, and so we need a king, we need a ruler, we need a lord who can do more than just restrain evil. We need a king and a lord who can change hearts. We don't worship the elephant or the donkey. We worship the lamb. And he can help us. So I want to address believers. I want to ask, how can we think about Addressing our wounds and our culture's wounds. The things that are wrong with our culture. And the answer is not that we be passive. The answer is that, we, that God would use us as his instruments to love and build up other people. And the first thing we can't do is bank on any political party or political candidates. We can have a hopeful but not a triumphant attitude about politics. If someone were to observe and look at and watch any one of our lives, the answer they could, they would say, man, what is this person hoping in? Like, what, what are they trusting in? And the answer cannot be, man, this person hopes that if the political situation changes, that the world will get better. If we are losing our culture, and it is getting worse in some ways. It is not because we lost an election. That's not the issue. The issue is that our hearts have drifted and strayed away from God. Um, I heard once in the U.S., and this, this surprised me, that we have the fourth most people in our country who don't know Jesus Christ of any country in the world. And so if our culture is going away, we don't want it to go. It is because 
our hearts have gone first in that direction and wandered away from the Lord. And on the other hand, if we don't hope in politics, neither do we despair if things don't go well. We don't get really upset if the person that we don't want gets elected. We don't freak out if there's a policy that's passed that isn't the policy we wanted. If we look back at history, the church has survived for 21 centuries. And there have been a lot of people who have tried to mess it up and take it out. The church survived Emperor Nero in the early first century. The church survived dictators in the 20th century who were bent on taking it out. And the church survives today in places like Iran and China where governments are bent on taking it out. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Even if the culture takes a turn against our church, even if the people in office try to stomp us out, Jesus says that he is going to preserve his church. We run into a problem when we bank on using political force and power to try to change our culture. Jesus' disciples thought that Jesus was coming to use military force and persuasion to change the, the society into a society that they wanted. When Jesus started talking about being crucified, Peter freaked out about it because it didn't conform to his expectations. We can see this in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 33. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. That's, that's not the right text. But I, but I can tell you what happened. So Peter pulls Jesus aside and says to him, stop talking like this. Stop talking like you're going to be crucified. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan, for you are not thinking the thoughts of God, but the thoughts of man. And it's in our flesh to try to use power to get our way, to try to use power to get protection. And Jesus says that it's actually the way that God takes care of you isn't that he, you use your power to get your way, you let me take care of you. That's the difference. And Jesus was the example of what it looks like to let God take care of him. He wasn't looking at military force to take care of him. He wasn't looking at becoming king. He was waiting for his father to take care of him. And he knew that even if he died, God would still take care of him and raise him again. Do you know that even if you died, God would still take care of you? I know it's so hard to trust in him when things get tough. 
I know a lot of you are going through some things right now that you're tempted to trust in human means and human power. That's the thing I want you to see is that this message goes so far beyond politics. It goes to all the human ways that we try to give our ways. When I'm in personal conflict and I try to use manipulation, try to get someone else to do something I do, when I try to hold something over them or isolate myself from them, that's me using human thinking. And God's thinking, Jesus' thinking, is that he sacrifices himself for us and God takes care of us. The healing of our wounds, of our deepest wound of not knowing God, is not going to come through any sort of human means. It's not going to come through political activism. It's not going to come through a certain party. It's going to come through someone who bore our wounds for us. That's where it comes from. The healing of our wounds comes through someone who bore our wounds for us. We see this in 1 Peter 2.24. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We can't heal ourselves because we can't bear our own wounds. We need someone else to bear our wounds. This is the opposite of calling on Assyria. This is the opposite of depending on power, political power to save you. It's depending on Jesus Christ to save you. Have you noticed how bitter the two political parties are at one another right now? It's almost like they think that if they inflict a strong enough wound on someone else, they'll heal things and make it better. But Jesus says the only way things are going to get better is if I take your wound for you. I want to address anyone here who's not yet a follower of Christ. And I just want to say that I'm... I'm so much like you. And I have a wound on my heart that comes from not trusting in God that separates me from him. And I tried so long to heal it by stuffing things in to make me feel better, to make me feel whole, to make me feel complete. And it just never works. And there's so many people in the room that can testify to that right now. Who of you here today are trying to heal your own wound and it's not working? So I want to invite you not to leave this place today without having your wound healed. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Talk to me. Talk to anyone else here today. He can help you. And I want to talk more about what it looks like for us on the ground level to make a difference? How do we participate in the political process? 
yet make it clear that Jesus is our hope. We vote, advocate, and serve if we want to, but we have to spend the greater part of our time, treasure, and talent making disciples. That's the plan. There's gigantic issues we face today. We face human trafficking, broken families, and the opioid epidemic. Yet God's plan to address those issues is not electing the right person. The church is plan A. We are plan A. Us obeying and making disciples is God's plan A for changing the situation. The way it works is when someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, their heart changes. And as a result, they start to share Jesus with other people whose hearts change. And when people's hearts change, they love one another and start to treat one another better, and society changes. If you want a new society, you need new people. Old people can't make a new society. And if you look at the history of the great awakenings in this country, especially the second one, in the mid-1800s, you can read up about all the social change that happened when Jesus came and made people alive. There's so much yearning in our culture today for things to get better. And I agree with it. I yearn with the people who want things to get better. But as long as we try to do this without making new people, it's not going to work. It's like trying to scoop water out of a boat, but never plugging the leak in the boat. Until Jesus makes us new, the culture is not going to change. And there is a tipping point. There is a tipping point where the wave crests and crashes when things actually change. When enough people come to know Jesus, things in a culture really dramatically start to change. And what we have to understand as followers of Jesus is that it's slow. It's can be a slow process in getting there. Um, there's a parable of the sower where the sower sows seed. And it takes a long time sometimes for that seed to grow. And when you put your time, treasure, and talent in the effort to make disciples one person at a time, we together are doing the one thing that can ultimately change our society. It won't make it perfect. It won't make it all the way better. Because as long as we're alive, this creation and us are going to be cursed. But we can make a real difference that points to the perfect creation that's coming when Jesus comes back. When we love orphans well, when we love widows well, when we loved the starving well, when we loved sick people well, we're painting a picture of what it will look like when Jesus comes back. And so I want us to take one step at a time to change our culture and change our society by making disciples rather than trying to do anything else. That's Jesus' plan A. There's um, a fascinating letter written by the Roman Emperor Julian in the 300s. And in this letter from so long ago, he's complaining. What's he complaining about? He's complaining that the Christians of his day are doing a better job than 
his empire is of taking care of people. And he's really worried about that. Because it's making him look bad. So this is what he has to say. It'll come up on the screen. And just so you know, he uses the word Jew, and that just means Christian in this letter. It is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg, and the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. And the impious Galileans is an insulting word that he uses for the Christians. So he's saying, when no Christian has to beg, and they support not only their own, but us also, our people see that Jesus is better than our plans. And that's my hope for, for us. That's my long-term vision. We've talked a lot about our 2040 vision, about how we want to multiply our missional communities and multiply our church plants. I want us to work towards the point where what we're recognized for is taking care and loving people so well that even the government would be like, man, these churches in Minneapolis, they do a better job than we do. Man, I'm about to lose my job because of these church people. I really want us to fight to get there. And I'm just so encouraged by the example of one gentleman in our church. He came to know Christ. He confesses Christ as Lord. And he's coming out of a lifestyle that he doesn't want to be in anymore. And wherever he goes, people say to this person, man, you're, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. And what they're starting to see is that no one can heal his wounds like Jesus can. That's what we want to see. We want to see, we want the world to see that no one can heal their wounds like Jesus can. When he puts us into a right relationship with God, we enter into a right relationship with one another. Where we love one another so well that it shows how great Jesus is. And when we start to do that, when we start to be like that, we're going to get to the point where if we were to leave, if our church was to vanish, people would be like, what happened to your church? You were taking care of so many people so well. Where did you go? Right now, I'm not sure Minneapolis would miss us if we left. I think some people would. I don't think our city would. Yet, but that's why we keep making disciples and we keep planting churches and keep growing our mission, making new missional communities. Because we want to get to the point where our world and our culture knows that only Jesus can save. Um, as time goes on, in some ways, the wounds of our society are going to get worse rather than better. Some things I hope will get better and some things will get worse. And the worst things don't make us despair. They make us long for the return of Jesus. When he comes back, 
he's finally going to make things right. And he's not coming back as a suffering servant. He's coming back as a reigning king. We'll finally have good government when Jesus is here. He will heal us. And he will make things so right that all the pain and suffering you're going through right now will actually just feel like a distant memory because things are so right when you're with him. I long for that day. And when Jesus comes back, there's going to be no more bad politicians. No more choosing between two bad politicians to vote for. There's going to be no more dictators in other countries who are starving their people. There's going to be no more civil wars and millions of refugees without a home. But it's only for anyone who knows Jesus today. And so with that future ahead of you, Christian, I just want to encourage you to give yourself all the more to him, all the more to pointing other people towards him. If you, if you have that hope and you have that treasure and you can share it with someone else, please do that. And if you're here today and you haven't ever tasted that, you can. You can taste what it's like to be with him today. So let's pray. Jesus, we don't serve anyone but you. And we repent for all the ways and all the times that we've called on other people besides you to come and save us when only you can do it. Lord, I just ask that you would please help us to give more than we've ever given to the effort of loving one another and of making disciples. I long for the day where our unchristian neighbors and even our government knows us for how well we care for the wounded and the weak and the poor. We're so thankful for everything you've done, Father, and we ask for so, so much more. And we long for the day you come back, Jesus. Help a day not to go past for any one of us where we are not eager and desperate for your return. Help us not to be content here without you as if it's okay that you're far away from us. The creation and we are groaning for you, Jesus, to come and rule and reign. So Lord, thank you that you do heal us and you heal our wound. There's no one like you. Amen.